Good morning, and welcome to the Southwest Church Sunday morning live stream of our services. Uh, my name is Andrew Beal. I'm one of the ministers here on staff. And before we go into the, uh, our time of musical worship, as well as a message from, uh, from the Bible, uh, we want to take time and do some honoring and recognizing on a number of fronts. Uh, certainly we know it's Memorial Day weekend, but also we're going to be honoring some graduates. Uh, we have nine graduates that attend Southwest called Southwest Their Church Home. And uh, we just kind of wanted to honor them here on the live stream and kind of share with you their future plans. So we have Abby Savin, who is going to be attending The Ohio State University in the fall. Next, we have Ashley Massey, who is going to be attending Miami University in Middletown uh, this next semester, where she'll be majoring in uh, psychology. Next, we have Bryce Madsen. Uh, he'll be attending Wright State University in the fall, and he plans to major in marketing. Followed by Claire Snyder, who will be attending uh, UD, the University of Dayton, and she plans to major in pre-med. Grace Wagner, attending Miami University out in Oxford, and she's going to be majoring in graphic design. We have Katya Myers, uh, who's graduating from the Warren County Career Center. She's going to be attending Sinclair Community College in the fall, and she's going to major in special education. Lily Kennedy will be attending Wheaton College in uh, Chicago, uh, where she'll be majoring in Christian formation and ministry. We also have Mitchell Post, who's going to be attending the University of Cincinnati, and he plans to major in computer engineering. Also, we have Samuel Magley, and he's going to be attending the University of Cincinnati as well. So we want to pray for and lift up and wish those graduates well. So if you know them, you see them around town, be sure to give them a high five uh, when it's appropriate to do so. Uh, outside of that, it is a holiday weekend uh, here in America. We know it as Memorial Day, this annual day every year where we uh, set aside time to remember those who have given their lives in the name of freedom, who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, <clears throat> so with that, this, we, also wanna, we also honor similar people on Veterans Day, but Memorial Day is specifically those who are no longer with us. So right after I pray, we're going to have a video honoring them. So as that video plays, uh, I want you to watch home in silence and reverence and a remembrance of those uh, who we've lost. But I'm going to pray first, and we'll go straight into that video. Pray with me. Father, we want to lift up uh, the morning to you. We want to lift up uh, the lyrics that we'll sing together later, as well as the words that will come out of your scripture later on, that they would do our hearts well, that we would be uh, coming face to face with truth this morning. But outside of that, we want to pray for our graduates, those who have passed this milestone of saying goodbye to high school and are emerging onto uh, that next phase, that next thing, that next chapter in their lives. We want to wish them well. We want to wish them uh, good, great blessing. And more than anything, we want to pray that you are right there by their side, guiding their every action, their move, their very lives. And also many of us uh, have those who've served in the armed force in our families, or at least close friends, and, uh, but especially those who maybe uh, who we've lost, who served in wars and campaigns in years and decades past. And we want to remember uh, their willingness, their sacrifice, uh, and their bravery and courage this morning. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship, when called upon to defend and liberate, 
They said, yes. They found courage to rise with every son. Loyalty toward their country. Discipline for every command. Even in the darkest hours. They said, yes. They cherished and fought for freedom. So those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them, saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. That song, Waymaker, though written just a few years ago, became very popular last year in 2019, and we're big fans of it here at Southwest. Uh, as a worship song, what sets it apart from maybe many worship songs that are currently playing the airwaves today is where many worship songs talk about uh, our feelings as humans and what we're going through, Waymaker uh, focuses entirely on God, his characteristics, what he is up to, who he is, and what he is doing. Maybe that's how many worship songs should be designed. But like I said, we're very big fans of that song, Waymaker, here at Southwest. So much so that we decided to name our current series uh, based on that song. Our current series that we're in right now is called Waymaker. And it's a four-week series that we want to cover, talking about who God is, what he is doing, and what can he do in our lives, even if we aren't expecting it, or even if we don't think it's even possible. Uh, this series is uh, perhaps timely. We hope that all of our series are timely. Uh, but this series is timely, hopefully because uh, of the time that we're living in. If you're like me, you might be tired of the phrase that we're living in uncertain times. Well, it's been pointed out by many people, and I've noticed myself, that you know, outside of this, any time that we're living in is uncertain. We have no idea what's going to happen an hour from now. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Even Scripture says that in Matthew 5. Regardless if there's a COVID-19 situation in our nation, regardless of any pandemic going on, uh, many of our lives can uh, be found to have certain levels of doubt. Does God really exist? Does God really love me? Am I really saved? How can I be sure of that? Doubts are common. There might be delays. We might be waiting on a paycheck to come in the mail, or we might still be waiting on a raise or promotion that was promised long ago. Might be waiting on some good news from the doctor's office, but there's been a delay. These are common. Throw on that just general darkness that can come into our lives and just uh, this uh, thing called life that is difficult all on its own. Uh, times have always been uncertain. And this is one of those times that it's certainly no different. If we dive a little deeper uh, into our own lives, we do a, a, an inventory on things that might be off or particularly difficult. We might uh, know someone or meet us ourselves. We might uh, be going through a mental rough patch, patch. Could be mental illness, could be a mental disease. I know this time of uh, physical social distancing has been hard on those who uh, struggle on that front, on the mental and emotional side of things. 
Maybe uh, this has only compounded uh, issues of substance abuse, maybe alcohol abuse or addiction. Again, maybe in your very own home or in your own life is for you personally. Uncertainty comes with that. And also this might just be compounding or bringing to the fore problems that you didn't even know were there in your own marriage or even in your own family. One reason we wanted to uh, bring this series to you and especially today's message called Promise Keeper is in a world where everything seems uh, that it can change, where the only constant is change, it seems, we can find truth and comfort and assurance that one thing that doesn't change is God. If we go to the book of Hebrews late in the New Testament, then we'll read that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we can trust that, we can cling to it, we can put our faith in that promise. Maybe if you were going back to that song, Waymaker, that we just sang, uh, there are lyrics that stuck out to me, and I want to uh, gift that to us. <clears throat> you might remember singing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Well, as also part of this four-week series called Waymaker, we're going through uh, the names of God or descriptors of God. Even though in our mind, God has just one name, God, there are many descriptors. For instance, uh, Roger, our senior minister, last week kicked off the series, and we got to learn some descriptors or some Jewish understandings of God in the, in the Old Testament. For instance, we learned the name, the descriptor Elohim, that good Hebrew word, which means uh, that he's going to make a way. He's a way maker where there wasn't one. And we learned the big word Yahweh, how the, Jews, the Jewish people understood God, kind of how they named him, that just Y-H-W-H, because uh, they didn't even want to pronounce the vowels they, because they were so reverent of God's name. But that just speaks to God's all-present uh, nature. It pretty much means I am. I am past, I am present, I am future. Well, today we're going to, later in the teaching, we're going to learn uh, a new descriptor of God. But today's title is called Promise Keeper. Once again, taking from the very lyrics of that song that we found so inspirational. So kind of as a backdrop or as a focus piece of this promise keeper title or name or descriptor of God, we want to look at two individuals from the book of Genesis. Uh, if you've been a, a Jesus follower for any length of time, maybe the names Abraham and Sarah are not new to you. But if you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, I don't know anyone in the Bible except maybe Jesus. Then let me tell you a bit about uh, this older couple named Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they pop up in Genesis 12, the very first book of the Bible, and they are a very faithful, godly couple. When we see them, when we meet them for the first time, they're already advanced in years. Uh, Abraham is about 75 years old. And we don't know why. We don't know why, what exactly was so special about this couple. Maybe it's because they really weren't all that special at all. But God picks Abraham and Sarah, and he's going to make... <clears throat> Uh, a few very, very big promises. In fact, it's going to be three promises that are going to flow all the way through Scripture, even to the very end of the Bible. But God says to Abraham, says, hey, I'm going to promise you three things. He says, I'm going to promise you nation, land, and blessing. <clears throat> and here's what that means. As God appears to these, this couple in what is now modern-day Iraq, uh, here's what nation, land, and blessing, those three promises actually mean. One is, as far as the nation goes, God promises Abraham that you are going to have descendants, family, descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. As numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. There's going to be so many, you won't be able to count them. 
eventually your descendants are going to take up that much room. Then he says, land. He says, I'm going to give you territory. If you've heard the phrase promised land, that comes from the Bible. That comes from this promise. Most uh, experts, most scholars think that at this time, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were nomads. They lived life on the move. They didn't have one set place where they lived. God says, I'm going to give you territory. They didn't have that before. And then blessing, essentially what the promise is here is God saying, I'm going to bless you as you in turn bless the rest of the world. So again, nation, land, and blessing. We could cover weeks and weeks and weeks as far as, as, far as how we could explain the uh, monumental size and weight of this promise and what that has for us even today as Jesus followers. But something else, as God is making these promises, I don't know how well you understand uh, contracts or agreements or uh, covenants today. <clears throat> Me, I only know a little bit myself. But I know especially back then, uh, much like today, uh, this covenant, this contract is, if you uphold your end of the bargain, then I'll uphold mine. But if you break yours, then all bets are off. That's how most contracts or understandings work today. Well, this speaks to the level of God's faith and God's promise that he never, ever breaks. God says, I'm going to promise you nation, land, and blessing, and your end of the bargain is you're going to follow me, you're going to be faithful to me. But then God also says, but if by chance you break your end of the promise, I'm not going to break mine. That's how much weight God put behind this. This is how much uh, God can be trusted to fulfill his promises. No matter what you do, Abraham, even if you break the promise, I'm not going to break mine to you. You just don't have those kind of promises today to lean on, do you? Anyway, so after that initial conversation, this new relationship that God makes with Abraham and his wife, Abraham starts living by faith. And what we understand faith to be today is it's a combination of hope, this, expecta- this, uh, this wish, this desire that something will happen, combined with expectation, the confidence that it will come through. Again, faith is a combination of both hope and expectation. I want this to happen. I deeply desire this to happen. And I also expect it. I have confidence that it will. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11.8 recounts it well. It says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God, God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. That is faith, isn't it? Well, eventually, uh, uh, Abraham's entire story takes up many, many chapters in Genesis. So we're going to be skipping through some parts. But eventually, God does fulfill his promise of a nation in giving Abraham and Sarah a child about 20, 25 years later. Abraham becomes a father through Sarah for the first time at the age of 100 years old. Sarah became pregnant, his wife, at the age of 90. There's this 10-year gap between them. And they end up naming the boy Isaac, which means God laughs or laughter. Because if you get right down to it, this whole thing is just hilarious. It is ridiculous. Logic has no place in this. This, this couple becomes uh, parents at the ages of 100 and 90 years old. Many of us would laugh at that. If that were a headline today, I would certainly laugh and I would make plenty of jokes. And it seems like after Isaac comes into the world, God has fulfilled his promise of a nation coming through Abraham's descendants. It sounds like uh, life is good. Outside of that, uh, Abraham and Sarah lived largely a good life. And they lived this way for many, many years with nothing to report until 
we get to Genesis 22. Here's the first verse of that chapter. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. There's a phrase, sometime later, that God tested Abraham's faith. And we might have many different emotions or thoughts on what it means to have a test of faith. In this case of Abraham, we don't know exactly why God decided to test him. Scripture doesn't say. All it says is that God did test him. And we could maybe uh, throw a couple of guesses out there. Was it that Abraham was too comfortable in his faith that uh, he got to a point where he wasn't relying on God all that much? Uh, Did he get so far on in years? You know, he had his son Isaac now. Did he forget this promise or the details of it or just how serious and huge it was? Or maybe God had in mind this was a way to prepare for Abraham for something uh, that he had planned for his future. Again, we don't know. Many of us at home are watching this. Many of us feel like maybe we're being tested right now too, right? Uh, This time of physical and social distancing, this very much could be a test of your loneliness. You just have this craving for people and you feel like you're being tested in this way. You're feeling lonely. Where are you going to take that loneliness? Will you take it to God? Will you take it to Jesus? Or are you going to find another solution? Maybe you feel like this is a test of your anxiety. You know, take COVID-19, take the pandemic out of the picture. And outside of that, even today, anxiety diagnoses and people who struggle with that, it's off the charts, highest than ever in our history. Is this a time that's testing your anxiety? Maybe it's distance. You're just craving friends and family that you haven't been able to see and hang out with and spend quality time with. But also what's kind of odd about this time is Uh, where unemployment is very, very high, uh, some people are feeling overworked. They're putting in more hours than ever before. And you lay that alongside people who haven't worked in weeks. Are you being tested in this way? Or maybe you are a boss or you're leading a number of people and uh, there's really no playbook for how to handle a time like this. How are you handling this? You might feel like in this time, you are being tested in your faith. And that's okay. If you will join me, I'm going to read this very, very powerful, rich, detailed uh, piece of scripture from Genesis 22 about when God really tested Abraham. This is God speaking. He says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We'll worship there, then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. 
When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, I am here. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horn in a thicket. So he, ran, he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I really, really like that it ends with that proverb. It says people will still use this as a proverb that on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. What that tells me is people in this time, uh, they didn't forget. They never forgot this story and they held it close enough to keep a, a saying or phrase or a proverb out of it. Uh, so what did we just read? This is Genesis 22 verses one through 14. Before this, God has promised Abraham that I'm going to give you nation, land, and blessing uh, over the course of your life and even after you're gone. And after many, many years of waiting to become pregnant, they finally do. And Isaac comes into the world and it says that Abraham just loved this boy so much. And then one day, God says, I want you to kill your son. I want you to sacrifice him. Now, each time I read this story personally, um, I can have trouble with it because on the surface, this does not feel or look like the God that I know. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. They take this three-day journey. As they're going along, Isaac, he knows the drill. He knows how sacrifices typically go. He looks around. He says, hey, I see the wood. I see you have the knife, but I'm not seeing a lamb anywhere. But even here, Abraham says, God's going to provide Abraham seems to have this faith, this assurance that even though this doesn't make sense, that God's going to provide, that everything is going to be all right in the end. And nearly at the last moment, as Abraham grabs that knife, uh, God does exactly that. He intervenes and he provides a way out. He provides a solution. But like I said, on a first reading, just a first glance, and if I'm not careful when I'm reading this story personally, again, this sounds inhumane. This doesn't sound like the God I know. But where I am today in reading the story is I honestly don't think this is for God. I really don't think that God is surprised by anything. I don't think God is ever caught off guard. I don't think this situation was for God at all. I think that this situation was for Abraham. Yeah, it's a very extreme example, but I think this was a reminder to Abraham that yes, he does have faith in God above everything else. That his relationship with God is the very foundation of his life, that nothing else, that no one else is more important to him than God is. Which is hopefully uh, the goal for everyone. That's my goal, that God would be the very center of myself. Abraham proved to himself that he had the hope and expectation that God would keep his promise. Abraham had and kept faith. And because God never breaks a promise, God did in fact provide. 
Listen to this from Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. In this message, uh, we learn a new descriptor, a new name of God, a new way to understand him. And in the Hebrew, it is Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. This is how God's people can trust, understand God. He is going to provide. He is not going to break his promises. This is a very good account to read and remember for us. But that brings up the question, what does this have to do with us today? And what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, we call this a cliffhanger. Stick with us. We're going to go into this next worship song, and then we'll come back and talk about what this has to do with us. A husband said to his wife, when I die, I want you to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. I want to take my money into the afterlife with me. And so he got his wife to promise him that with all her heart, when he died, she would put all his money in the casket with him. Well, he died one day and he was stretched out in the casket. His wife was sitting there in black and her friend was sitting next to her. When the ceremony ended and just before the undertakers were to shut the casket, she said, wait a minute. She had a box with her. She walked over and put the box in the caskets and the undertaker closed and locked the casket and they rolled the casket away. The wife's friend leaned over and whispered to the wife, I know you weren't foolish enough to put all that money in there with your husband. The wife answered, I'm a Christian and I can't go back on my word. I promised him I would put all the money in with him. And the friend looks at the wife and says, you mean you really did put all the money inside the casket with him? The wife said, I sure did. I wrote a check. And if he can cash it, he can spend it. We take promises seriously, don't we? Or at least we try to, and at least we want to. Even the phrase, I promise, if someone starts a sentence that way, uh, we know that it holds some emotional weight. Uh, checking out an article associated, that associated uh, promises with our behavioral health, uh, here's just a reminder of uh, the, prom- the power of promises. One, they're hard work. They can take a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, a lot of manpower to make happen. Also, we know and remember that they're meant to be taken seriously. Uh, I myself, I don't use the phrase, I promise all that much unless I know I can guarantee that I can deliver what I've promised. Another thing is they are commitments. They're saying, yes, I've said I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it. You can count on me. You can depend on me. I'm responsible enough to carry this task through. We're committing to something when we promise. They're an affirmation of human connection. You might, uh, you might uh, have a list of people who you would trust if they promised you something, uh, but also there are people in the world who divide uh, people in their lives by those I can trust and those I cannot. It's a measure of the depth of our human connection. Can I trust you to fulfill a promise if you make one to me? And also with promises, they should never go beyond what we can actually do. Because if we make that sort of promise, it then becomes a broken promise. And if there's one thing that can destroy, deteriorate, destruct uh, our relationship with each other, it's, 
if the broken promises keep piling up, it eventually gets to a point that we can't trust somebody with certain things in our lives. So much so that there's the proverb, the modern day proverb of don't promise what you can't keep. Don't make promises you can't keep. Because we know the pain and the mistrust that comes when a promise made has eventually been broken. And the thing about promises and trust is no matter how great someone you know may be, no one has ever fulfilled every promise they've made. No one has ever not broken a promise. It's just human nature. We can't be 100% faithful to the promises we make. We're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. That's just the nature of it. So while we can tend to trust a lot of people, and I would even advocate we should grow in our trust in other people, can we 100% rely on anybody? Some may say yes, some may say no. Me, I say almost. But even those closest to me, I know that they are human and they'll make mistakes. And I'll be prepared to forgive them when they do that, as I would, they would forgive me as well. So if we can't put 100% of our faith in other people, where do we put our faith? What do we do with this? Going back to the beginning, where can we put or find certainty where nothing seems to be certain at all? Two verses from Psalm come to mind. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. That's Psalm 1830. How about from Psalm 146? He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. The Bible is full of promises. And one of the many promises of scripture is that if we put our faith in Jesus, then we will be saved and enjoy eternity in the presence of God and other believers. And do you want to know something really, really cool? I only learned this this week. Back in Genesis 22, Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And do you want to know what city is built there now? Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on that very mountain. And do you know after Genesis 22, centuries later after that, God the Father sent his son Jesus to be crucified, to be sacrificed there. A father sacrifices his son in Jerusalem. For us on the mountain of Jerusalem, the Lord provided. God himself provided a sacrifice in Jesus that would take away the sins and condemnation of anyone who would believe in his son. And we know the famous verse. We'll have it on the screen. John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We learned earlier that faith is a combination of hope and expectation. Faith is believing that even if we can't see it or if we can't feel it, that God is still working. It's a faith, it's a hope and expectation that God is going to provide what we need because he promises to. And we know that God never, ever breaks his promises. He is a God who always keeps them. Psalm 56 reads this, I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? 
Let's bring this home a little bit. As we sit and listen today, we may feel hopeless. And that to whatever we're going through, that there's not really a finish line in sight. You know, as they were walking toward the mountain, Isaac saw the knife and he saw the wood that his dad was carrying, but he wondered about the sheep. You might have similar questions or observations. I have the bills on the kitchen table, but where's the paycheck to pay them? I have the diagnosis, but where's the treatment that's actually going to work this time? I have the anxiety and I have the worry, but where's the comfort and the security? I have the house full of kids and I have the exhaustion, but where's the relief? Let us end with the biggest lesson we can learn from Abraham. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw, but couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God set us right with God. So now uh, I think now is a fantastic time to move into this, uh, this practice that we are in the habit of doing every week at Southwest called communion. Hopefully you have bread and juice or even wine at home you can follow along. This thing called communion, we do uh, every single week, whenever we gather, either in person or virtually. And it's a time of remembrance. That much like this writer said that when things seemed equally hopeless, that God was not wringing his hands. God was not hopeless. God was not worried. God was not pacing the floor, wondering what happened. God was confident. His entire plan was he was going to bring his son, Jesus, back from the dead, raised to new life. And that's what we remember in this moment. We are going to have uh, a brief time of silence and remembrance uh, on your end at home. But I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to uh, take you myself. But we are remembering Jesus in this moment. That we don't have to live a life of hopelessness, but that we can have hope and the expectation that everything we need is found in Jesus, that he is more than enough. Pray with me, and then we'll have a time of communion. Father, we want to know, be assured that you keep every promise. You have never broken a promise in the entire history of time. And you're not going to stop now. That even when we don't feel it or see it, that you are working behind the scenes, you are actively working for our good, for those who believe in you. If we are feeling hopeless, I pray you give us hope exhaustion that you give us rest, anxiety that you give us assurance and calm. 
but that even if we don't get it immediately, that we would have the faith that you will keep your promise, that you will provide exactly what we need, just as you provided for Abraham, just as you provided for us with Jesus himself. It is now him who we pray to in honor and remember. Amen. With that, we hope that this time was meaningful, that you were able to grow, that you were able to be blessed by our music and message. Uh, as soon as we're back, we hope to see your shining faces. There'll be more on that coming in the, in the next several days. But outside of that, we want to uh, encourage you to spend time with family, being together, uh, honoring and remembering uh, the fallen uh, as we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow. Uh, outside of that, we have just one final announcement. So this coming Wednesday, we are offering online starting point. This is for those who are uh, after kind of what is Southwest all about. It's considered the best first step in exploring the beliefs, the core beliefs, the foundational beliefs of uh, Jesus followers as we understand it here at Southwest. Uh, so I'll be, <clears throat> I'll be doing that this coming Wednesday at seven o'clock. You can find that uh, Zoom ID and password and it'll be coming in an email later on. But outside of that, once again, we're thrilled that you uh, tuned in with us this morning. And we just want to leave you with a reminder that God always fulfills his promises. He is a promise keeper and that we can be confident that the Lord will provide. Join us in worshiping in this final song.